The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to Friday Night Live with me Hafiz Shaban on this uh, Friday evening on the 15th of February 2019 corresponding to the 9th of Jamadathani uh, 1440 I, I always try to uh, try to give the corresponding Islamic date just so that we lose uh, we don't lose track of the Islamic calendar at the same time as usual we're broadcasting uh, live to Luton on 105.1 FM uh, and nationally also broadcasting via some of our sisters stations uh, nationally, uh, Sheffield Link FM, uh, Peterborough Salam in Derby, in Nottingham and uh, of course uh, you can tune in and listen to us via the Inspire FM app uh, via the of course Inspire FM website and of course we are streaming live on Facebook now so plenty of ways of uh, tuning in uh, do join in, join in uh, today's discussion, today's debate get your voices heard always great to hear from our listeners with regards to what your thoughts are get them across to our panellists, get them across to our listeners uh, your contributions always matter and they do count so do not please just listen to us without contributing as usual the number here in the studio is 01582 01582 for Luton 481822 right so that's 01582481822 and the SMS and WhatsApp message is 0779 0779 481822 nice and easy 481822 inshallah so those are the numbers for you to contact us here in the studio inshallah to join today's debate and join today's discussion right as always inshallah we've got plenty of stories to discuss with you and some uh, interesting stories i must add this evening we're going to be starting off with uh, the the attack that's taken place or i believe yesterday thursday the 14th of february in kashmir so we're going to be covering that uh, the attack in kashmir uh, and what are the some of the implications of that attack in kashmir i've got mashallah a couple of uh, brothers that i'm going to be discussing this subject matter with and it's also interesting i want to get an update in terms of what's been happening in kashmir recently there's, there's been quite a volatile circumstance and situation for a while not surprisingly but i haven't heard much in terms of kashmir being at the forefront of news and any progress with regards to what next for the kashmiri people have we forgotten about our kashmiri muslim brothers and sisters i want to ask that question we're also going to be discussing india's rohingya shame i mean is as if not kashmir was enough in terms of a shame on on indian uh, foreign or domestic policy we're also going to be discussing india's uh, rather degrading attitude towards rohingya muslims recently right so we're going to be covering that also it looks like rohingya muslims are not getting a respite from any angle at the, uh, currently right so we're going to be discussing that also uh, and then we're going to also be covering another story that we have covered recently on uh, Friday Night Live and that's the uh, Uyghur Muslims uh, in China, right? So we're going to be discussing a story that's come out of, uh, of uh, that part of the world where families of the missing, and you might remember this story that we've covered previously about these hundreds and thousands, right, of Muslims that have gone missing, right? So the families of these missing Uyghur Muslims have been calling for the so-called proof of life videos from Chinese government. And I'm going to explain that a little later when we come to that story. And last but not least, if that was already not enough, how about something for you to think about planning for your future, for your children's future rather. 
Planning for our children's future. What does that mean? Am I talking about financial planning, educational planning, planning about their marriage, future marriage? No, something rather more deeper than that. So we're going to be covering that as a final story this evening. And we have got a number of guests that we've lined up, mashallah, some experts on these subject matters that are going to be joining us. And we're quite privileged to have them joining us on Friday Night Live. And it's even better if you, our listeners, actually contribute and get some of those questions aired towards our our guests directly 01582481820779481822 is the number here in the studio inshallah ta'ala. but anyway that's with regards to our guests and that's with regards to our lineup but also mashallah in the studio as usual i have brother zafar who's uh, kindly joining me in the studio today to help me navigate through these uh, subject matters mashallah uh, brother zafar let me first welcome you to the studio uh, assalamu alaikum and welcome to the studio mashallah how are you walaikum assalam alhamdulillah and yourself alhamdulillah good week Alhamdulillah. Have you enjoyed the, the sun today, mashallah? Oh, it's beautiful, it's been, wasn't it? It's been lovely, hasn't it? So you walked have out. You, have you been out sunbathing and uh, Well, I went out Jummah, yeah. right? and it was, it was lovely, man. It was really mashallah, nice. You know, yeah. I, I was late today for Jummah, so I had to pray outside, but it was nice praying outside Ooh, today. It was, it was lovely today. It was a bit of a, a bit of a change, yeah? SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. Good to have you here, Brother Zafar, as always with me in the studio, supporting, mashallah, if not uh, co-representing with me also, as always, inshallah. Ta'ala. So we're, we're Trying our best. No, mashallah. Uh, okay, so we're, we're going to start off with we've got a, a, a we've got a guest a brother Zafar Khan I was discussing with yourself earlier not not to be confused with our brother Zafar in the studio uh, who's gonna we're gonna be, be lining up shortly and we're gonna be discussing this story right uh, but I know mashallah you've got you're very close to this uh, territory this geography uh, the history inshallah ta'ala with regards to uh, Kashmir inshallah ta'ala or oh, we have got brother Zafar online excellent inshallah but let me just give my listeners a quick introduction so this blast of of course I was saying earlier took place on Thursday, uh, 14th of February, heavily guarded Srinagar, Jammu, Kashmir, a highway. Uh, over, I believe, 40 Indian paramilitary police have been killed in this uh, incident. Uh, but I, before I go into the details, right, I'm going to get Brother Zafar Khan, who's on the on, on the on the line to get his view inshallah ta'ala but I, I was gonna I was saying brother Zafar here in the studio it hasn't been very stable times recently for Kashmiri Muslims in Kashmir I've been hearing a lot of stories in the background and you know I haven't heard of Kashmir in the news or you know in terms of the peace process what's happening out there apart from this just this volatile uh, situation yeah, keep I, breaking I out to, to, to be honest happening? I think I think the Zafar Khan Saab right he, he's gonna Perhaps uh, give you a little bit more uh, mm. detail because mm. he's much much more familiar with the situation yeah. than I am. Uh, but there has been a, a, a Kashmiri uh, sort of uh, led uprising against the Indian uh, troops, basically in, yeah. in Kashmir in the last good few years, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, and they've been met with with sort of a very heavy-handed response from the uh, mm. um, the Indian army, million plus, basically, right in in a small valley. Mm. Uh, and then people are actually sort of um, uh, are, are dissatisfied basically with the, with the, the situation. Mm. So I think in the recent weeks, I would say, I think the the plight of the Kashmiris has gained political and diplomatic traction. With I think the Pakistani foreign minister was here only last week. Um, was where in Kashmir? Uh, no, no, he, no, he was. He actually called uh, some sort of um, leaders in Kashmir, uh, yeah. and India wasn't happy about that. And right. uh, the foreign secretary uh, uh, came to UK, mm. and India warned effectively the UK. Parliamentarians not to basically engage him, yeah. um, but he did get traction from, from at least the, the supporters of the Kashmiri cause right. uh, within uh, within the UK population. So, right. so on the world stage, mm. diplomatically, the Kashmir cause 
has been raised. So this, in effect, uh, I'll get onto that in a little bit of time. So this is coming at a very bad time, to mm. be honest, mm. for Pakistan. Mm. And, right. and I think probably for so, Kashmiris so, as well. Right. So. So, so let's assess the situation with brothers Zafar. We've got on the on, on the on the phone. But just before that, quick introduction or a, or a background to our listeners. Since 1989, 70,000 people been killed in in this you know Jammu Kashmir, uh, right? Uh, I mean, last year's death toll was the highest since 2009. Uh, 260, you know, so-called militants, 160 civilians, 150 government forces. So I mean, it's it's been a quite a turbulent you know couple of a uh, couple of years. And they say obviously this is intense in intensified since Burhan Wani, who was a, a quite a popular individual in, in Kashmir, was obviously killed by security forces in 2016. On that, with that background, uh, let me introduce Brother Zafar uh, to uh, to our listeners. Uh, Brother Zafar, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum as-salam. Uh, for joining us on Friday Night Live. You're no stranger, mashallah, to, to the radio station. Brother Zafar, obviously I understand you've got a, quite a uh, quite an interest and quite a you know, depth knowledge of, of the Kashmir conflict and, and the background. Uh, let, let's start off with in terms of your views with this recent incident yesterday and what the implications are likely to be for the Muslims of Kashmir. Obviously they've been through quite a tough time recently. And also in terms of relationships in particular with Pakistan because obviously the whole media uh, the whole you know uh, uh, onslaught from India has been obviously pointing fingers toward Pakistan and Pakistan is this and Pakistan is that obviously no surprises there w- w- what is your uh, what, what is your reading into the events uh, brother Zafar uh, uh, I, I think yes you've touched on a number of very important uh, aspects of uh, of the um, dynamics if you like of the conflict uh, that emanated from this uh, this incident yesterday uh, mm. Two things, uh, two three things uh, actually. Uh, one that um, India was so quick uh, in uh, uh, yes. making it a, a Pakistan, uh, you know, sort of led, uh, if you like. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, well, no surprises Kashmiri, there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. And from a Kashmiri point of view, mm. uh, that uh, sort of is a, a, a typical uh, Indian tactics that that uh, to nullify the sort of genuine, if you like, the struggle for mm. self-determination in Jammu Kashmir. Mm. So that's one point. The other, I, I, in fact, is the, the violence itself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, formerly, uh, people of Kashmir or this, the, the, uh, the, uh, the political struggle, uh, you know, they, they more or less gave up um, struggle uh, quite some time ago. Mm. But uh, uh, one could uh, actually see the current uh, um, uh, sort of violence yeah. Uh, in the context of, if you like, uh, the overwhelming uh, Indian militarized violence itself. Yes. And I think yesterday's uh, incident in some ways is very much a reaction to that because right. over the past at least six months or mm. so, mm. Uh, many uh, civilians and along with what Indians call uh, uh, militants mm. uh, also have been killed. Uh, and, you know, score, right. score. Right. And, uh, and so you, I think, got the figure... And I think maybe that was something, uh, uh, something uh, that that, that uh, you know this was a way of um, perhaps uh, reacting to that. Right. But right. what is unfortunate is yes. that uh, you know it's sort of, sort of a, uh, in the wider context of the mm. uh, relationship in the mm. subcontinent, it, it's yes. unfortunate because yes. at the end of the day, people of Kashmir want to determine their future yes. political status, yes. and India and Pakistan are two major. Uh, players yes. in the region both yes. have, uh, you know, both have their uh, presence in uh, uh, in parts of Kashmir. Yes. Uh, but uh, for uh, for past thirty years, mm. India, as you know, you said uh, you uh, mentioned a figure of seventy thousand, but mm. 
you know it's well over 100000 people that mm. since 1988 mm. uh, that have uh, have died or have been killed yes. as a result of indian military action okay so so quick some quick fire questions i, I really want to you know refresh the memories of, of of our listeners so i mean what's leading to this intensification of the military uh, militarization of kashmir we know that the indian military has been quite dominant in that area recently has, has something prompted that or is it the fact that of uh, what's the reason for intensifying that uh, brother zafar well, well i i'll tell you uh, i'll just give you one example mm. i mean uh, uh, one of the leaders there uh, there's a joint uh, resistance leadership comprising of uh, sayed ali gilani the octogenarian uh, uh, leader right. of huriyat and mir waiz umar farooq uh, and also yasin malik of the jklf i mean uh, i i give you a quote from yasin malik yasin malik uh, who gave up arms struggle uh, in 1996 um and embarked on a peaceful struggle uh, mm-hmm. to to gain a right of self determination now he said in relation to uh, um in in respect of uh, or if you like uh, in connection with the indian militarized violence an increase yeah. in militarized violence he said that the general uh, you know no uh, mode of resistance mm-hmm. is usually determined by uh, not by 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 people who are struggling but mm-hmm. by the oppressor Uh, itself mm-hmm. and so in in some ways you could you could argue that the overwhelming military presence one mm-hmm. and secondly the use of overwhelming military firepower against i don't know according to the indians perhaps mm-hmm. there are 300 people mm-hmm. who they call militants Mm-hmm. uh who are actually standing up to the army of maybe well in excess of half a million wow. plus many many uh, uh, paramilitary forces right. uh, of which 40 40 yes. were killed yesterday right, right, right. Uh, and and so i mean those, those are the dynamics mm-hmm. and i think it's that that a uh, violent aspect which mm-hmm. i think uh, um, created this uh, phenomenon of resistance over the yes. past 4 years 3 yeah, yeah. years yes. i mean i mean as as i said uh kashmiris gave up a milit uh, milit uh, you know arm struggle uh, mm. in the in the in the 90s mid 90s right. yeah I, i think it's an inter- interesting question you raise uh, mm. about this particular so what what precipitated this mm. uh, and and i think i've been i read lots of sort of news articles mm. from the subcontinent and i think mm. one thing is emerging is is the timing of it and the ah, timing okay. the timing is very interesting right right so you have uh, and it's very unfortunate this timing for pakistan mm. very badly times this uh, this thing for pakistan mm. but it's very fortuitous right for india mm. right so first of all uh, bjp is uh, you know the uh, campaign has been floundering yep. the popularity of the bjp is, is floundering elections coming up elections coming up in april mm. right april in, this year this into in a, in a month and a bit's time indian elections correct indian elections coming oh, okay. up yep, yep, right yep. and bjp has always been correct, basically correct. A, a popular anti pakistan yeah, rhetoric yeah, has exactly. been that's right okay, okay. so that's one aspect mm. the other aspect is next friday mm. uh, pakistan is due you are hearing at the fatf uh, the anti tariff uh, financing uh, organization basically so pakistan has been put on a gray list effectively yes. pakistan get, can't get access to the financial systems of the world right, right. if it's on this gray list effectively yes, yeah? yes, yes, yes. and previously it's been barred the, mm. being on a gray list means it can't mm. it can't trade uh, as yeah, easily yeah, yeah. as as perhaps right, it would yeah. be possible right. now that meeting is next next tuesday and india has been fighting really hard to yes. to keep pakistan on the list yes. because of of this jet chap right which yes, has been yeah, blamed yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. the organization been blame yeah, yeah. that's one thing yeah. 
Prince uh, MBS is coming to Pakistan this weekend. Correct. Pakistan is coming out of isolation, yes. right? So India has partially succeeded in isolating yeah. Pakistan yeah. Uh, diplomatically. Yeah. It's coming out of that isolation. Mm. So, so uh, Prince MBS is visiting Pakistan this weekend, mm. and I, and because of this, I guess is is delayed. It. Mm. So the visit has been as, delayed. The visit has been delayed. It's delayed by a day. They're saying, but you know, as it stands at the moment, he's also he's also Zafar is also visiting India uh, after the Pakistan. Correct. And I I think you know the connect connections you are making are very you you're making a very important uh, yes. in uh, in the wider context of yeah. the of the region. Yes. Uh, and India has been actually saying right from the time very yes. time when this explosion took place yeah. that they will do everything yes. to isolate Pakistan. Exactly. So, right. I mean, all, all, I think, the, all the rhetoric yeah. is there. Yeah. All the rhetoric is there. Yeah. They're putting pressure on Pakistan. You're, you're right into the political pressure. United Nations. You know. You're, and, and this has uh, come e at a really e bad time. Even I was reading, they're putting pressure on Muslim other Muslim nations to take you know response. Yeah, but to, that's to what them, I'm saying. Right? So they, this. Yeah. This incident, believe it, they're blaming Pakistan for it, yes. but but it's really bad timing for Pakistan. Yeah. Yes. It really, really yes. bad, yes. Uh, yeah. bad timing for Pakistan. So so you know, if the if this JET people who have admitted that yeah. they did it, uh, done yeah. it, yes. uh, if they are basically operating yeah. at the behest of the Pakistani army or yeah. or the the state, that then either the state is stupid or these people are so stupid. The, okay, okay, the timing. Mm. I, I see the timing issue, but how about turning the, the the you know turning the ball right and throwing the ball back in the Indian court and really, you know, India going around saying that we're the victims here, but uh, what about the transgression of mm. India in Kashmir? I mean, is is that receiving sufficient airtime? And are, are, are we able to actually demonstrate well, that? Because well, here, well, you see, you your brother Zafar saying, you know, half a million mil military in, in Kashmir, these are predominant Muslims, you know, the right of self-determination was given to them decades ago, and nothing's happened with regards to that, and these, this is a populace that has just been oppressed, you know, brutalized, you know, so many of their well, civilians uh, and have been exactly, killed, uh, and, and well, I'll well, well, give an example. The, the Pakistani foreign minister came to UK. Yeah, yeah. His whole purpose was to highlight the plight of the Kashmiris, the very thing that you're suggesting, yeah. right? And there was very strong protest, right, from, mm. from India. Mm. And I guess the the trading links and whatever links that the Britain has with 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 India prevailed. So, mm. so you know, there was there was silence mm. effectively. The case for Kashmir was mm. never made to the people who make decisions in this country. Mm. Mm. I, I mean, it sounds very similar. No, to, no, Zabra, yeah, Zabra, I think uh, no, I, I think uh, you know the foreign office actually in, uh, refused India's uh, India's. Uh, the request to in uh, in, a, in a beginning uh, as of yeah. they did but subsequently uh, they, they no no I, no no I think they they put out a statement I think they refused they said that they cannot uh, uh, the foreign minister of Pakistan is coming and he's addressing a meeting in the in a, in, a, in a chamber in the House of Commons uh, and uh, they cannot stop uh, members going there mm. because it's not a, an official meeting as such and okay. it was never meant to be an official meeting Fine. the Fine. Indians were insensitive about. Uh, uh, a Pakistani foreign minister holding a meeting on Kashmir inside the palace of Westminster, yeah. which the British government actually said, you know, there's nothing that they can do about. I think, uh, you know, that 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 aside, you are right that uh, that India has got uh, a very good, if you like, press and a very good hearing yes. in international capitals. Yeah, it's got good and I think that says something about Pakistan's foreign policy and Kashmir policy. Okay. But I, I think, you know, when we talk about timing is right, not right, no, fine, but in actual fact, the people in Kashmir itself—I mean, they don't—they uh, they don't really 
think of these uh, these yes, yes. these issues i mean uh, i think uh, it was a reaction on the part of uh, uh, people uh, on the ground yes. uh, and it happened to be yesterday yes, yes. but it uh, it happens to be a bad time for uh, for right. pakistan and it, india is going to exploit it okay yeah, absolutely i I've, i've got two questions we've got about 6 minutes 7 minutes so i'm going to give it to both of my my guests right one is with regards to you know the case of kashmir right now brothers of here in the studio you have not it's it, you know the the case is there and you know pakistan is trying to represent it but but i've really seen the case of kashmir really wither away in, in the on the back burner not really as prominent as it once used to be right and the kashmir case really you know you know not really being given the attention that it deserves that's the first question right what and then for example you know the brother was saying the brother zafar was saying the violence has been taken for a peaceful struggle and, and the right for self determination what is happening on that uh, on that front and what is next for for the people uh, for the case of people of kashmir that's the first thing and very quickly what next for pakistan because as you're saying very tough situation imran khan in there trying to stabilize trying to build all these you know relationships with with the muslim you know other nations and obviously indian are putting pressure on what do you th- what what do you see uh, what do you see ahead two questions for brother both both zafars So I, I think Zafar Saab on the phone, he's probably more, uh, more sort of I guess in tune with the the Kashmiri sort of uh, uh, politics and, and raising of the Kashmiri issue. Mm. Um, but I would say I think you're quite right. I think the 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 populace, the Kashmiri populace in UK and the West, I think there's the, the diaspora. I think as Zafar Khan Saab will say, mm. has not been able to mobilize its strength to actually project the cause of the Kashmiris mm. as much as it could do. and i think that that's probably a a structural failing i don't know uh but you know there there has been in the past you're quite right uh you know the the voices for the kashmir is quite prominent i remember robin cook the former foreign yes, minister yes, yes. for the labor party he went he basically he as part of the labor manifesto they want they had actually a position on kashmir mm-hmm. uh, and i know how he was treated when he went to india uh, and and you know uh, it was highland uh, etc yeah. um but in terms i guess in terms of the pakistan you know what's Pakistan has done a, uh, is made overtures for peace with India. India is yeah. not interested yeah. partly because of the elections, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Ele- exactly, elections. Exactly, yes. So so Pakistan's strategy was to sort of see uh, see through uh, this see, period, see through this period yeah. right? See the BJP government get, you know, uh, reduced in strength effectively, yeah. Yeah. right? Because I think the popularity is waning a little bit. Okay. So th- this is actually kind of like blown a a big yeah. hole right okay. in that strategy effectively. Exactly. Okay, Br- brother Zafar on 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 the phone. your views yeah uh, okay two two i'll just make two points uh, okay. first uh, first uh, point is that uh, violence is not uh, not an answer not mm. uh, from anybody mm. and certainly if the indian indian military or indian government thinks that with over half a million regular troops plus uh, perhaps 200 300000 uh, irregular uh, you know paramilitaries mm. india india can assert itself uh, i mean india has failed badly mm. failed over Absolutely. the past 30 years Absolutely. and it it will not it will not succeed mm. I, i violence therefore is not the answer mm. uh, it is a political issue mm. uh, kashmir is a political issue and uh, it has to be resolved uh, uh, around the table both india and pakistan uh, are central to this mm. but of course you cannot leave the kashmiris out of uh, res- resolving the kashmir issue mm. the world has a responsibility and britain certainly where we are mm. britain has a as a responsibility because britain is a permanent member of the security council of the united nation right. and also there is a, a, a almost about a million strong 
Kashmiri origin diaspora in Britain, and okay. plus you have uh, people of Pakistan, Pakistan origin, who are uh, supporting the Kashmiris and all the other other you know. And it's in the interest of uh, uh, all of us to have a peaceful resolution of the Kashmir issue and all the good things happening thereof for India, Pakistan, and the Kashmiris. Right. The other point that yes. I would make uh, uh, very quickly is this. Yes. Uh, the other point that I would make very quickly mm. um, uh, is this that Pakistan has to stand up to India now mm. because uh, there is a, there is no point in sort of uh, saying that, uh, you know, it wasn't in our interest in wasn't that they have to stand up to uh, India now mm. and they have to tell very clearly the international community that it is the people of Kashmir who must decide the future status of Jammu Kashmir mm. and India and Pakistan have a duty to ha help that along. Yes. And I think Pakistan has a moral duty as well as a uh, you know, a political and diplomatic duty to do that, and I think the time is opportune. Okay. This, uh, I know, is not in the interest of Pakistan uh, that, that, that this in yes. incident has happened, yes. but it is also an opportunity for Pakistan yes. to say, well, look, enough is enough. Yes. Uh, you keep Fantastic. blaming us. Yes. We have nothing to do with that, yeah. and yeah. Kashmiris must have a right to decide right. about the resolution. Right, of right. The brothers, Zafar, brothers Zafar, we are running out of time, but I, th I think that's a very good point, that the timing might not have been appropriate, uh, you know, very good for Pakistan anyway, but but now that Kashmir has been come to the forefront of, of international media, take the opportunity to really highlight the, the, the plight of the, of the Kashmiri people, the Kashmiri case, and and try to get the, the right... Yeah. You know, a a violence or war is not a solution. War between India and Absolutely. Pakistan or violence yeah. in Kashmir is not a solution. All right, so th that's a good point, Brother Zafar, to finish on because we're about to go into a commercial break. Uh, Jazakallah for, for your time this evening and fantastic to hear your views you. on, on this subject matter, Brother Zafar. Jazakallah Thank you. Thank right, you. listeners, that was uh, uh, Brother Zafar Khan on the on the phone, uh, giving his expert views, mashallah, on the issue of Kashmir, and uh, of course uh, I've got Brother Zafar, another expert on uh, on this particular subject matter here in the studio with me. Interesting to hear your thoughts, our listeners. A lot of Kashmiri brothers out there, community, especially in, the, in this Luton community. What are your thoughts on on the Kashmir and the, and solving the Kashmir issue? I want to hear from you, hopefully, in the second part of this first hour of the show, inshallah. When, you come, when we come back from the commercial break, oh. 5824818822 to get hit to air your views 0779481822 for your SMS or WhatsApp messages when we come back maybe another couple of thoughts with Brother Zafar on this issue of Kashmir before we move on to other subject matters inshallah just a reminder you with me Hafi Shaban on Friday Night Live every Friday from 6pm till 8pm uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes until then Assalamualaikum You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban and Brother Zafar here in the studio. Uh, welcome back to the second half an hour of the first hour of the show. Uh, we were discussing the Kashmir attack and uh, also addressing what are the uh, possible uh, repercussions, implications of the Kashmir attack with regards to Pakistan-India relations. Also, what are the possible implications with regards to uh, the national, uh, obviously, the national agenda of India internally within India and also in terms of Kashmir? And I want to just uh, press ahead with that with that agenda with brother Kash uh, with brother uh, Zafar and ask him another one or two questions before we move on to our next subject matter, right? 
is just to actually explore that a bit further in terms of the implications on uh, the Pakistan relationship with India. It was pre prior to this becoming a bit more stable, right? At least from what I was listening Well, there's there some overtures reading. made. It wasn't becoming yeah. stable. There's some overtures made from Pakistan well, overtures primarily. Made, yeah, exactly, with Imran yeah, Khan, yeah, yeah. opening of the border, the, the Sikh community being the allowed Sikh, to that's, access that's you know, right, some yeah. other sides. So there were some initiatives that were being taken off from, from Pakistan. I didn't see much from India, but of course this is now going to potentially exasperate the, 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 the relationship, yeah, right? right. A, a, a lot further, right? Uh, what, what about internally within Kashmir? You know, is, is it more of a uh, 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 you know, a stronger hand w w within the within the on the Kashmiri populace. W what are you expecting to see over the next? And what was historically? Are we, are well, we you've seen? you've seen some incidents, right? Where where in Jammu, right, mm -hmm. which is uh, which is another part of the, of the, the uh, Jammu and Kashmir region, mm. where the you know the the Hindu population or the non-Muslim population has mm. has come out on the streets, and there's mm. been some disturbances there, according mm. to some reports. Mm. Uh, so there is there is fear of internal sort of um, mm. uh, internal um, strife, I guess, within mm. within the valley. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I guess pe people are you know they've been under the kosher factory for many mm. many many years, and mm. they're used to it. Mm. And this is just going to be another tightening of the the the, um, the the screws effectively uh, and and you know last thing yeah I mean the brother Zafar he was saying earlier that you know Pakistan and India need to have a, have this conversation they need to have this discussion right you know whether you look to the United Nations whether you look to Britain I mean you know uh, whether you look to even Pakistan and uh, India having this you know debate discussion is it a subject matter that you know people want to just avoid and not really discuss because it's just too too difficult, uh, you it's know. Not, it's, well, it's not it, difficult it's at all. It's almost it, like the Palestine issue that you know, the, when it comes to Jerusalem and discussing the core issue, people don't they just want to put it in yeah, the back. It, it is in some respects. I think mm. in India is India is a, um, a trading partner to many of the nations. It's mm. a valuable trading partner. So economically, I think India has as as. Uh, uh, as very a lot, a lot of positive effectively right for mm. for the Western nations etc. Uh, but in terms of India, why India doesn't want to talk to, to about this issue? Mm. Because in, India uh, is a collection. India is not a, a unified state. It's a collection of different states, mm. right? And there's at least nine insurgencies in India, mm. where where some nations right want to split apart and set up their own separate states. Yes. So there's there. In, in fact, I've seen a report basically right where the insurgency on the eastern side of India. Yeah. yeah. Right, is mm. much more prevalent on the western side mm. in terms of the uh, the amount of conflict and the bombings and mm. and and you know uh, killings etc. Yeah. Much more prominent mm. right on the east side, mm. but you don't get to hear about that at all. Mm. Right, but on the west side, the Kashmir sa side, the, the southern problems, uh, but, but it managed to deal with that too. Correct, to, correct. And, and see the, the Kashmir oh. the Kashmir situation. Mm. Kashmir is not an integral part of of India, mm. although you know India would claim Claims that. It, yeah. Right, but the the, the way the the resolution of, of the Kashmir situation was left in 1947. It's, it's an unresolved situation mm -hmm. from partition, mm -hmm. right? And it's up to the people to decide how they want right. to go. That, that, right. That's the thing. But the thing is, yeah. is the risk with India yeah. and why India doesn't want to talk about it yeah. is if India talks about Kashmir yeah, yeah, yeah. and gives independence or autonomy to Kashmir, yeah, yeah. then you've got nine plus other yeah, nations. So, so it doesn't want to give it much of a publicity and, and much airtime. I get that. But, you know, I'm going to ask a controversial question slightly. Some people might consider it a controversial question. And my question to my listeners is, have the Kashmiri community of the UK abandoned the, the cause of Kashmir back home? Right. Have we just become a bit too busy with our own, you know, you know, lives and, and our 
own interests that or or you know that we we really don't you know we're not really not giving it the attention that it deserves i don't see the discussions happening we're living in luton big kashmiri community when something like this happens i expect you know some kind of a community event some kind of discussion i don't see much right so uh, the question for my listeners the rhetorical question out there is have we abandoned the cause of kashmir or have we not? Okay, oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two. I want to hear from our listeners, right? So we want to. We've been discussing India. We've been discussing India's kind of shame in, in in Kashmir. Some people would argue. Some people would argue the country. I'm sure in terms of pro India, uh, but we're going to move on to another story which is also connected to India, uh, and this is India's. Rohingya shame, right? India's Rohingya shame. Now I've got a, a fantastic. It's honor to have this next guest on uh, on Friday Night Live, right? So we've got Ashley Star uh, Kinzev, uh, an international human rights lawyer. Recent founder of a non-profit organization, Stateless Dignity Project, uh, Ms. Kenzef has been focusing primarily on the Rohingya crisis and she studied and worked on it for over six years and related statelessness and refugee issues. So it's fantastic to have uh, Ashley on the, on the line. Ashley, welcome to Friday Night Live. Hi, thank you. Thank you for that very warm welcome. Uh, no, no, it's fantastic. It's great to have uh, nice to uh, experts like yourself on on the show uh, and uh, allow us to actually, you know, get some uh, expert opinions on on the on these subject matters and for also for our listeners. So, uh, of course, earlier we've been discussing uh, India with regards to Kashmir, and now we're discussing India with regards mm-hmm. to the Rohingya. Right? A lot of people won't necessarily associate India with Rohingya. So, so what's this article that you've re- recently written with regards to India's Rohingya shame? Sure, I'd be happy to talk about it. Well, uh, for me, I should start by saying I lived and worked in Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar has always been of great interest to me, um, particularly northern Rakhine State, where the violence in 2017 broke out, and I was living there when it started. Um, So I became really invested in the Rohingya cause. Uh, And since then, you know, after I was essentially forced out of that country, uh, I sort of have followed Rohingya refugees um, around the world, especially in Bangladesh, which is what most people associate uh, Rohingya refugees, uh, well, their location as being. But for me, I'm sorry, are you able to hear me okay? Yes, 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 absolutely. Very clearly. Yes, okay. Oh, sorry. All right. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, but I'm very interested also in what's not being paid as much attention to, which is uh, Rohingya refugees who are living in other places and who aren't facing the same challenges as people are in Bangladesh. Yes, that's a massive community. It's an urgent issue. But mm. there's also large groups of uh, Rohingya outside of Bangladesh, um, and that's including especially in India. Uh, and there's a huge, there's, there's this growing movement in India, uh, largely referred to as Hindutva, but it's a, essentially a Hindu nationalist, um, religious nationalist movement, which is something I think we're seeing a lot of around the world right now. Yeah. Um, and when I came to India, you know, I expected to see refugees uh, struggling, uh, but I didn't necessarily expect the level of vitriol against Rohingya refugees that I found and the extent of suffering um, that to me very much mirrored what I had seen previously in Myanmar and was really Mm. disconcerting. Mm. Um, So this is why I chose to write on that topic. Uh, Mm. It was really striking to me just how how similar that kind of religious nationalism was Mm. looking a lot like what had happened with Buddhist nationalism in in Myanmar and what continues to happen. Mm. Um, And that's really where this came from, um, because it's very different from the way Rohingya are suffering in Bangladesh, where it's more out of a lack of resources and much more based in, honestly, you know, xenophobia and, in my opinion, um, 
uh, religion and ethnic-based hatred. Mm, so, mm, wow. Um, so, uh, Ashley, t- tell me, are you actually based currently in, in India? Is, is that where you are? Or you, you, just, no. you spent some time there with regards to just studying the, the, the Rohingya uh, subject? Yeah, I'm actually based in New York now. I had been right. based in Myanmar for a while. Mm. Um, and I've, you know, we're traveled and worked in Bangladesh before. Mm. Um, but... I was interested in exploring, as I said, you know, other yeah. uh, areas where Rohingya are living and, um, mm. and surviving as refugees that don't get so much attention in the media. Yeah. Uh, and so I started in Delhi. I felt that was the central base. Uh, right. And mm. I was interested in, you know, potentially going there, other locations in Bangladesh, Nepal. Uh, but I became connected and really invested um, with local organizations there who are just struggling with uh, such, I mean, immense issues and discrimination uh, within India, um, and I mean, some, some hor- horrifically violent crimes against Muslims in general, but uh, in particular the Rohingya, and mm. Um, mm. Uh, seeing so much of that, I just became really devoted to that and decided to spend, you know, my, right. my time in the region most recently uh, focusing right. on India. Right, right. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I've got the story in front of me. So, uh, uh, recent deportations of uh, Rohingya refugees from India sparking mm-hmm. some of some of the crises. I've, I've seen that, uh, and in terms of the, some of the reactions that you're you're just citing with you know with regards to the Rohingya Muslims, is is that something that you've seen in the con- in, in the context recently, especially in, in light of the fact that there's these elections coming up in April within India, or something that's actually stretched back and and all, all, almost become you know something that you seen over a period of time in, in India? Um, I hope I'm understanding your question correctly, but mm. in terms of, I guess, at least the reactions to the deportations or, or what's led up to it, mm. as I mentioned, you know, there's been this very strong uh, Hindu nationalist movement. It's been very much led by the uh, Modi government, which was yeah. voted in in 2014. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, it mirrors a lot of what we're seeing in the world. Um, mm. He's kind of India's Trump, if I could say that. Yeah, it's uh, American, but... Mm. Um, uh, but I think with the deportations, you know, I've gotten certainly my fair share of backlash on um, social media and that sort of thing. And what I'm seeing from a lot of people is uh, this attitude of, um, uh, you know, it's our right, it's our, we're a sovereign state, get them out of our country, we don't want them here, they're a threat to national security, when really there's no valid yeah. evidence of that. Yeah, I've yet yeah. to see any valid evidence there. Yeah. Uh, And so with the deportations, they finally, I guess, did it, what people have been demanding. I mean, an example is in Jammu, which is, you know, part of Jammu and Kashmir. I heard you talking about Kashmir just before. Um, Jammu, there was a move uh, by one official to create an identify and kill movement if the people weren't deported. So the government's finally acting on that. um, Mm. And that is a violation of international law, to be clear. A lot of Indians, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, I should say not a general Indian phenomenon, but uh, Hindu uh, extremists have said, you know, it's our right to pick anyone out, it's our right to determine who can be here, who can't. Uh, but actually, in international law, there's a principle called non-refoulement, which means you can't send someone back to a country where they're mm. likely to be persecuted. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, they are. It's, it's almost certain that returning Rohingya to Myanmar, where they have yeah. been persecuted for decades, uh, I mean, it, it's an absolute violation of international law, in my opinion. Yeah. So um, you're seeing, I, I guess to get to the point there, what uh, we're really seeing in the wake of these two major deportations, one was kind of scary to a lot of Rohingya, but after a second one, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard some of this news, uh, people became terrified uh, mm. at the notion of being sent back to Myanmar 
And there's since been a lot of movement, uh, both within India, but also there was, there's been some flooding into Bangladesh all of a sudden, where once people were coming from Bangladesh to India because they had heard about better economic opportunities, and now people are flooding back to Bangladesh in fear. Uh, there was this moment where 1,300 people, right after the last deportation, crossed back uh, wow. into Bangladesh. Yeah. Um, because the, the Rohingya people are positively uh, terrified at the notion mm. of being deported. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Um, Understandable. Uh, I mean, I, mean I, I wanted to get get an update from you with regards to the Rohingya you know, a crisis generally uh, just but 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 just before i do that i mean uh in terms of what are the numbers that, that we're looking at within india of rohingya you know uh, uh, people is is there a large number of of, of rohingyans now living in india what, what is that what are the kind of figures um uh actually that we're, actually, we're referring to i'm actually really glad you asked that because that's the point of a lot of confusion and mm-hmm. often misstated um from what I understand, so the government likes to claim this number, 40,000, mm. and so you'll see it re- reprinted over and over and over uh, across the media. In fact, you know, it was even uh, in, in discussing with uh, my editors uh, here, um, you know, I raised this point with them, but I've also talked to UNHCR there and to most Rohingya refugees, or not most, um, but many, many, and everyone has said to me, of course, when we cross the border, one of the first things we do is register for a UNHCR refugee card. And most of these people also came years ago when the mm-hmm. refugee card meant something in India. Mm-hmm. So according to UNHCR, they have about 18,000 registered Rohingya refugees, mm-hmm. uh, which is a far cry from India's number. And, um, you know, in, in, from what I understand from UNHCR and others, no one has any idea how Andy, India came up with the 40,000 number. Right. Um, it seems pretty arbitrary, and most Rohingya people, well, every Rohingya person I've talked to there uh, who I've talked to about this has said, uh, why would we not go for a, you know, a, a UNHCR refugee card? Mm. That's mm. the first thing that we would do. Mm. Um, so, uh, I mean, there's, it seems really arbitrary to me that mm. India is claiming 40,000, and I think it's in their interest to make it seem inflated, you know, this yeah, idea yeah. that, yeah. again, it's very echoed uh, from Myanmar, where we see this mm. uh, notion of Islamicization. Um, yes. You know, in Myanmar, yeah. you would see a lot of reports of, you know, uh, a very uh, racist, essentially, reports saying um, that, you know, they're breeding too quickly, and they're okay, trying yeah, to take yeah. over our country, they're yeah, trying to Islamicize, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's in their interest to inflate yeah. the numbers, but... Yeah, so um, I'm glad you asked about that because it's been a point that I've tried to drive home uh, in many contexts, and it's uh, it's a myth out there that uh, it's forty thousand. So. Yeah, and and where where are the, these refugees uh, um, basically s- situated? Is it in around Bangladesh, or is it other parts of uh, India? India, Bangladesh, not Bangladesh. Um, that's a good question as well. They're actually quite spread out across India uh, in many different areas. Uh, two points of uh, concentration, I would say, are in Jammu. Um, Jammu, oh, that's interesting. Of, well, well, how, yeah. much, how much percent did you say, yeah. sorry? Uh, Jammu? Yeah, well, how, how much percent Jammu? did you say, or did you say, give a number? Sorry. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know the exact percentage. Right, right. So I can't okay. But that there's quite sure. a few in Jammu. Yeah, the two largest concentrations, um, which, you know, I expected Jammu um, potentially for, you know, um, cultural reasons. Yeah. not that surprising that some people would go to Jammu, but yeah. um, Hyderabad as well. Hyderabad. Uh, and apparently mm-hmm. that was because of um, economic opportunities that people yeah. saw there. And then once mm-hmm. people start going, you know, to certain areas mm-hmm. and they, you know, contact their relatives, others follow them there. Yeah. So those are two high concentration areas. Right. But most most of the people who... 
uh, fled after the deportations. Uh, the majority have been from Jammu, and that's partly because of things like that identify and kill movement I mentioned. There's a really, really strong uh, anti-Rohingya sentiment in that area. So a lot of people are fleeing from that area. Um, but they are all over. Um, there's, for example, in Delhi, at least four or five settlements um, uh, there. Um, and some people are also, you know, embedded in and have managed to Many are very good at passing as Indian, essentially, which is, yeah. I, I think, a good thing. Um, yeah. You know, they've learned Hindi very quickly yeah, and, yeah. Um, and and get by just fine. Uh, many of the people I worked with had that luxury, and um, it really is a luxury. Yeah. Uh, but others uh, don't have that, you know, haven't had that. Uh, mm. I it's interesting, um, I, interesting, I can understand why Hyderabad, but uh, Jammu in particular, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, it's a diff- different, quite a different region, quite a different climate, quite a different sort of, uh, mm-hmm. I think slightly different language spoken there as well, isn't it? So in terms of making their Rohingya making their way all the way to the to the west, yeah. uh, it's quite a, it's quite yeah. a journey. Yeah. Quite a journey. And, and, and I guess yeah, that's... I actually, yeah. Sorry, go. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go ahead. Oh, just that I... I just also found it surprising initially uh, that people had, you know, trekked so far from Bangladesh. I was expecting, mm. for example, I, I have heard of some in um, West Bengal um, and as well as Tripura, you know, uh, you know the region, I'm sure. But um, I, I was surprised by the distances traveled as well. But mm. from what I've heard, uh, it had more to do with people initially thinking, um, you know, potential religious affinity in this yeah, region. Exactly. Uh, but. Uh, but then, you know, it, it just sort of grew where they, you know, their relatives would come and their relatives would, or relatives or friends yeah, and family, yeah. that sort of thing mm. would follow. Um, but then there's been this huge backlash, like I said, you know, where people are saying, whoa, there's, there's way too many of them. We've got to get rid of them. So, 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 so the, this um, kill, kill movement, is that, is that kind of like a paramilitary movement or is it a civilian movement of people who've taken the law into their ha- own hands? Um, it's an odd one, to be honest. It's also a good question. Um, it was first uh, mentioned by someone from, of all things, uh, an official at the Chamber of Commerce and Industries, and he made a public wow. statement to this effect, yeah. um, which seems like a rather random department for this to come yeah. from. Yeah, exactly. uh, but then he, he never really pursued it. He claims that he, he would, but then never really pursued it. Yeah. Uh, but the language has sort of been taken up by extremist elements, and now I'm, I'm forgetting the name. I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, um, not my language, but of the uh, major, sure. um, as a major sort of extremist uh, elements in that area and this one particular group. So they've really adopted that language and a lot of other anti-Rohingya rhetoric. And they've even done things uh, like take out front page ads in newspapers in the area and really? billboards uh, that either have anti-Rohingya messages uh, mm-hmm. for others or have directly threatening statements to Rohingya uh, mm-hmm. to the effect of, you know, if you don't leave or if you're not deported, we'll kill you, that sort of thing. Uh, Even putting billboards directly, you know, outside at least one Rohingya wow. camp uh, to wow. that effect. So it's really terrifying people yeah, there. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, is, it doesn't surprise me when, you know, with the Hindu Nationalist Party being in power, whether it's the Rohingya, whether it's the Kashmir Muslims, or whether it's the other, you know... Well, it's, 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 the thing, a, it's the thing that, that's going around the world, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. it it's, you run out of ideas uh, of what you stand for, absolutely. right? Mm-hmm. But it's easier mm-hmm. to stand against, isn't it? So mm-hmm. we are a party which is against exactly. 
X, Y, and Z. Mm. The only problem with that stance, right, is that once you come to power, you're bereft of ideas. Mm. You're no good to anybody, mm. right? Mm. Uh, and but the thing point. is, this is populism, really, isn't it? And this is yeah. taking the world by storm at the moment. Why looks things? Okay, I I, I want to yeah, actually. Exactly. I'm, I'm Oh, yeah, sorry, you know, so, no, sorry, so, so, sorry. Uh, Ashley. You, you know, you, you've been studying the Rohingya case for the last six years. I mean, it's, 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 that's why I'm, I'm so, you know, chuffed to be actually speaking to you. It's fantastic because, I mean, of of course, I mean, tell tell us about your last year. You know, of of course, I mean, it's difficult. We've only got about four minutes left. I was going to say, tell me about your last yeah. six years of studying the the Rohingya. You, you're gonna you 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 will probably want to read through your PhD that you've done on Rohingya. But but <laughs> but, but, but but where are we with with the, with the plight of the Rohingya? You know, uh, people. Uh, Currently, as it stands, I mean, we, we've heard about, you know, the, the peak of it in terms of recent, you know, last year, two years. Uh, we've yeah. seen the Bangladesh closing the, the borders and then opening them partially. But now we're hearing about them in India. It, you know, has the circumstance changed in Myanmar uh, to, to any extent? You know, I, 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 I remember reading the reports that they were now allowing them to come back to Myanmar. What, what, what is the current mm. status, uh, uh, Ashley? Just give us a quick brief two minute summary of uh, <laughs> where we are. Well, I will. I'll definitely try. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on that and on everything you just said. But I would say, first of all, in terms of my, my past experience, just briefly, um, I did first work there in about 2013. Yeah. And I'd say the most major shift that I've seen that has really fueled this in a lot of ways has been the growth of social media. There's a lot of statistics yeah. around that, yes, and I won't yes. dive into those. But yeah. the growth of Facebook in particular, yes. uh, Myanmar is the largest user of Facebook, if I remember, in uh, Southeast Asia. It's just wow. blown up and the spread of this you know, fake news the sort yeah. of atmosphere mm. uh, where mm. there's no objective truth, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, it's been really instrumental and used by the government uh, against the Rohingya, but made out to be sort of a civilian movement. So it's been, mm. re- it's kind of like, to me, in my mind, it's uh, very reminiscent of the Rwandan genocide, yeah. except it's taking radio and uh, it's, it's really amplifying it. It's more demographic, immersive, sort of terrifying force. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, that was a bit long scale on social media's role, but I think that's been a major factor in making things right. much worse for the Rohingya. Yeah. Uh, and that hasn't stopped. You know, Facebook has somewhat uh, is claimed to try to help it, but it's still mm-hmm. a major problem influencing mm-hmm. people's opinions and pop- propaganda in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. So all that said, I think a problem that, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't think anything's changed in Myanmar, um, to put it simply. I think, if anything, the problem is worse, and sentiments against Rohingya are even worse. There's this Mm. popular idea um, Mm. that, uh, you know, international actors are, uh, for some reason, I still fail to understand the reason, but it's it's fashionable for international actors or so so-called, as they uh, tell me, uh, human rights lawyers to take yeah. the side of Muslims. Yeah. I don't know what the particular advantage to me is supposed to be. If it's financial, which some say, I'd love to see that money, but uh, I'm just kidding. But, okay. um, but I mean, there, you know, there's just this, all this rhetoric that um, uh, the international community is essentially making it up, and yeah. they really, really don't want the Rohingya back. And so mm. I don't see repatriation being a realistic option for quite a long time, and a lot yeah. of others don't either. I've seen many articles saying it won't be possible possible for, you know, say 25 to 50 years. I mean, this is the the amount of hatred that's developed there yeah, is yeah, yeah. Uh, astounding. Um, and I don't see a way around it, honestly. They're really, really deeply entrenched right. beliefs. And so I think we do need to start looking towards right. so other I, solutions. I, yeah. 
So actually, we're we're running out of yeah. time, but I want to ask you a very uh, final, okay. for right. final, very final quick question. You you've got about you know f- yeah. thirty seconds to answer it. What what's next for you then in terms of your your study of of Rohingya? Are you continuing down that road? What what's what's on it for you? Uh, what's on the agenda for yourself next? Yeah, well, um, as I said, I I as much as I would love to see repatriation in a safe situation, I don't see that happening with mm-hmm. the Security Council uh, mm-hmm. as it currently is composed for various political reasons, etc. Yeah. Um, so for us, and what our organization is really focusing on is, is a few things. One, maintaining awareness on the situation. Right. Uh, two, we want to offer direct assistance to refugees where we are able to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not always possible, but we're trying. Right. Um, and three, honestly, uh, it's very sad, but um, these people as much as they want to, I think largely aren't going to be able to return in a protected right. situation right. for some time. Right. So that means we need to find new new places, countries, uh, welcoming asylum homes for these people uh, okay. and help them to thank, to establish their th- lives. Thank thank you very much, Ashley, for, for your time uh, this evening or probably early, still early afternoon for you in, in, in New York for joining, uh, joining us on Inspire FM Friday Night Live. Thank you very much. It was fantastic speaking to you. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ashley. All right, listeners, that was Ashley, who is a, a journalist and also a researcher who, and who's been studying the case of the Rohingya Muslims for the last six years. We've run out of time. We're going to go into a commercial break. But when we come back, I want to get Brother Zafar's thoughts on what we've just been discussing. Don't go away. When we come back, we've still got another few subjects to discuss. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. This is Atif Nawaz, and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, and uh, Brother Zafar here in the studio, broadcasting every Friday from 6 pm to 8 pm uh, from the studios of Inspire FM 105.1 FM, 01582481822, 01582481822, to speak to us here in the studio and 0779. 481822 to send in your thoughts via SMS or WhatsApp and listeners please do uh, share your thoughts with us and share your thoughts on either of the subject matters that we've been discussing tonight one common denominator with both of those subjects has been India right India so we've been discussing Kashmir and the Kashmir attack and the issue of Kashmir in the first half an hour and then we've been discussing the case of the Rohingya Muslims in India right the case of uh, Rohingya Muslims in India and we've had a, what I believe is it was a fantastic mashallah guest on the, for the last half an hour international human rights lawyer you know studying the Rohingya crisis for over six years we got to you know bring her on this on, on the show in the future again to discuss this because mashallah she had a, a depth of knowledge and expertise and she's been traveling she's been living in Myanmar she's been traveling to Bangladesh she traveled to India and she's been studying the case of the Rohingya crisis quite closely and, and I was I found that very fascinating in terms of what she was telling us and, and some of the thoughts that she was sharing with us and also very alarming in terms of some of the attitudes that she was sharing with us on of, of the Indians with regards to Rohingya right so I'm gonna I'm gonna get brother Zafar to maybe you know, you know just you know just summarize and share some of his thoughts in terms of what he what you will what, what you heard right and on what your personal perspectives were in terms of what, what she, you know, well, she, I, she I think it's, it's quite, in some ways, uh, it's quite um, 
uh, informative, right? When mm. I mean, if somebody gives an opinion about the uh, what happens in India, uh, and then you know one happens to be a Pakistani or a Muslim, etc., you know people te- te- people tend to get an opinion and say, "Well, okay, uh, you're well, biased, right? you're biased, etc." Yeah, here, here you're seeing somebody who's who's an independent, right, oh. right who's actually done some some research in in coming up with those conclusions. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the the, the plight of the Rohingya uh, in India, yeah. uh, eighteen thousand in a population of what one point two billion. Yeah. Um, and and you know there's there's organisations who call for their killings. I think it's just it's disgusting. I mean it's, it's, insan- sound, it's insanity. It's where, where's the sounds hum- a bit insensitive. Yeah. Where, where's the human element to it? I mean I I couldn't literally believe that. Identify. What did she say? Identify and kill. Identify and kill. Yeah. Oh my right. God, it's incredible. And here's the same Indian state who's discussing you know uh, the Kashmir issue, and they're pointing fingers at Pakistan and saying. You know, Pakistan is uh, is is the mm. world's trouble quarter and and so-called terrorist state. And look at what what the but attitudes I, I, that we're I, hearing I th- I with regards to Rohingya Muslims in in India. I think that I think India is not alone in feeling that. There's there's a wind of of nationalism, mm. and I think uh, uh, Ashley mentioned about sort of Buddhist sort of uh, mm. nationalism and Hindu nationalism. And mm. I guess in some respects, you have to say there are elements of of you know Muslim or Islamic nationalism as, as well mm. uh, we have to call that out as well but the, the problem is that um, mm. you know when, when the, the the world starts defining themselves uh, with respect to uh, opposition to something mm. right, rather than you know projecting the values you do stand for yeah. I think that that's that rings hollow to be honest and that that brings trouble because it, yeah. it brings you votes in a, in a short term yeah, yeah. Uh, but ultimately you know it, it's a uh, uh, it's it's not a good thing for humanity. I think, to be honest, I, mean, so. I, I I think that that point that you mentioned, you made it very kind of subtly, but I think it's a very profound statement. Mashallah. It is. It it's is very indeed. Profound. I'm not trying and, to pick and, you and up. You're here you're sitting in front of me, but mashallah, it is a very profound statement. That is, is when you actually lose the intellectual battle, the ideological battle, and you can't discuss and debate your your principles or your values or your ideological beliefs, then you just come down to legislation or you come down to m- mere brutality and, and, and violence and force well, you, you, well you, you've seen the, as an example of the statement mm. you've seen mm. the case for brexit yeah. right yeah. brexit you know very popular movement in you know uh, mm. because it was against something yeah. right and once they delivered that vote absolutely uh, and, and they, they disappeared they disappeared uh, right yeah. and now we you know we're in a mess we talk about it every yeah. week and yeah. week on week by so that that shows you the level of of intellectual corruption right mm. with people who mm. who basically define themselves as opposition to to something else but what do you represent the, what you represent I, and yeah, i think I that's, like that that's, i like that yeah i i i really i picked up that comment that you made and i thought you know what i'm going to come back to brother zafar because mashallah brother zafar not surprisingly not once mashallah has made <laughs> another very good point that i need to highlight alhamdulillah all right brother zafar i don't want to get you too excited brother oh, <laughs> let's, okay. let's let's move on to the next story because we've got our next guest on the line, right? So we've got uh, Russian Abbas, an Uyghur American activist and managing director of the campaign for Uyghurs on, on the line. So I want to first welcome uh, Russian Abbas on Friday Night Live uh, on Inspire FM. Uh, Russian Abbas, welcome to Friday Night Live. 
Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for salam. having me. Oh, fantastic. Great to have you. And, and uh, if I'm correct, I don't think it's the first time you've been on, on the show. You've been on the show before too. So that's great to have you back on the show, mashallah. But uh, uh, tell us, uh, we're discussing a particular story. I mean, we've discussed the case of the Uyghur Muslims uh, and, and the China's, you know, uh, you know, attitude towards and, and these containment camps that, you know, these you know, hundreds and thousands of Muslims have been actually, you know, uh, disappeared off into these uh, concentrations concentration so-called concentration camps that people are, you know, are citing but but recently it's been making news again uh, and these headlines of the families of the missing ergers call for proof of the so-called proof of life videos from Chinese government well what, what's the story give, give us a bit more details uh, to our listeners uh, Russian yes thanks for having me back um as uh, I mentioned last time, currently at least two to three million Uyghurs are being held on those Soviet gulag-style concentration camps. Only they are being persecuted only for their religious beliefs, being Islam, and yeah. also their ethnicity for being Uyghurs. And then uh, currently, about a week ago, last Friday, mm. we had an, uh, a news came from. Uh, uh, from uh, East Turkestan. I'm sure this is the news actually came out of the uh, Chinese government somehow because we can't even get a fly out of the region right now with the information blockade. Mm. We only hear what the Chinese government wants us to hear. Mm. Family members don't get any information from their beloved uh, relatives or families mm. uh, such as myself. My sister is taken more than five months ago and I have no idea where she is and how she's doing, if she's mm. alive, how, how her health is. So last Friday we got this news about this very famous uh, uh, singer, musician. Yes. Her name, his name is Abdrim Haidt. And uh, we had the news that uh, she was, uh, he was being uh, tortured and they died from malnutrition and the torture. So we right. got his death news. Right. We were all really sad. And then the uh, Turkish government very rightfully um, condemned those concentration camps. Within hours, we had the video release of this uh, famous singer yeah. uh, talking. Uh, seems like he's talking under duress yeah. um, and uh, saying that uh, uh, this is uh, February, 8, uh, uh, February 10th, yes. uh, 2019, and yes. he's well. Yes. Uh, but also he said that he's being investigated. He, he's being held and investigated. Mm. So this is supposed to be proof of uh, uh, his life. Mm. And then mm. the video, uh, once they released this video, mm. um, one of our uh, human rights activists uh, from Finland, Uyghur, Kamrat uh, Uyghur, he's a medical doctor from Finland, mm. on February 11th, he called for asking uh, from the Chinese government to release a, uh, a video show their relatives if they are alive yeah, or not. Exactly. Proof of yeah, life video for everybody. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. and he called for hashtag Me Too Uyghur. Yes. And then uh, we all supported this. Yes. Um, for example, myself, I was flying from Washington to uh, California after six hours of flying. When I was changing my flight in Los Angeles airport, I just sat there at the airport. I did my uh, requesting for proof of life video for my sister. Yes. yes. Um, basically, thousands of uh, Uyghurs um, had their loved ones' pictures yes, and yes, the videos. Yes. Asking yes. for a proof of life. Yeah, right, fantastic. So, I, I mean, of course, I mean, firstly, let me, uh, you know, echo our 
our, our also feelings and our, and our empathies for you, Roshan Abbas, because I remember previously when we discussed you, it's very personal for you in terms of your own family members, as you, as you mentioned, your sister also being, you know, a, a disappear, you know, you know, obviously taken away uh, and no news, as you said, still no news with regards to her well-being. So we, we pray and inshallah, we wish that uh, that you get some uh, positive news with regards to her sooner rather than later inshallah uh, but but on on on, on a wider note of course this this has backfired for the chinese government and is obviously is given a popular rise and another kind of an initiative to a lot of those muslims and family members to actually pick up on the social you know bandwagon and to put more pressure on the chinese government has there been any response at all with regards to apart from that particular video uh, from the chinese government to all of this new kind of a social media campaign me to Yes, actually, the uh, China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson, Ha Chunying, released a statement and she said, uh, a country with more than a billion people, we don't need a release of video for everyone. (laughs) Well, we are not asking for over a billion Chinese people's proof of life. We are only asking our family members. Yes. Yes. So either release them. Yes. Or they are claiming, the Chinese government is claiming those are a vocational training centers and yes. people are being held there voluntarily. Yes. If they are being held there voluntarily, this is the information world of 2019. This is like technology and the information. Exactly, exactly. With, uh, picking up the phone, you can do FaceTime, you can yes. talk to their relatives. If it's vocational training centers, yes. Yes. if those are being held there voluntarily, yes. why can't we talk to exactly. them? Why exactly. can't we get their pictures or videos? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. It makes ludicrous, it makes no sense in terms of what the Chinese government position seems to be, uh, because absolutely you're, you're, you're totally right. And, and you know what actually surprises me and, and surprised me from this story was, this was a, a famous a musician, Right, so it's not it's not an yeah. imam, he's not a priest, he's not a you know religious figure, he's a musician, and even the musicians are not actually spared from these so-called concentration camps. I mean, it actually shows you the the degree at which the Chinese government has, has actually gone on the onslaught of actually you know trying to you know eliminate any element of Islam from from these people. I mean, that's quite incredible to be honest with you. So yes, the uh, Chinese ambassador in Washington, yeah. Chinese ambassador for America, yeah. uh, Ambassador Tui, yeah. he said a few months ago, he said, we are holding those Uyghurs in those education centers to make them normal persons. So basically they are treating Islam and their yes. Uyghur identity yes. as a being abnormal people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so this it, it's is how you know ridiculous this is. Yeah, and yeah. the video of yeah. this famous singer that they released is a key evidence of illegally holding people for yeah. such a long time without charges. Absolutely. What sort of investigation takes two years? Yeah, no, he no, was no. abducted in early 2017, yeah. and now we are talking about February 2019. Wow, I mean, with regards to the musician, two years. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Who disappeared in Xinjiang, East Turkmenistan, in 2017? Two years, and now you you see a video after two years on. And, and tell me. Uh, uh, Russian, how did the, the Turkish government get involved with this? Because when I first saw the statement coming from the Turkish media, I thought I thought it might have uh, Abdul Rahim might have actually had some kind of a Turkish descent or or, or, or link to Turkey. How how did Turkey get involved in this, or is it just because of the what what China's has really been doing across to the to these uh, uh, East Turkmenistan Muslims that is actually lent its support to to that cause? 
um, because Abdurrahim Haidt was loved by all Turkish people, uh, Turkish musicians. Right, right. And also, he so was popular. arrested shortly after he came back from uh, Turkey, after he performing uh, in Turkey. Okay. So okay. Uh, I think that's why somehow Turkish government felt that they needed to say something when they saw such a uh, horrific, repugnant catastrophe that's happening to two, three million Uyghurs today. Yeah. So okay. that, you know, that, that statement is very welcomed and we are extremely happy with the Turkish government. Right. And, and let, let me just remind my listeners here, advocates say one million people. I mean, you, you, you mentioned Russian two to three million, all right, ethnic minority Muslim groups forced into these concentration camps. Just for our listeners who may have not read the story or may have forgotten about the story, we're talking about, two, you know, one million to two. I mean, this is just a, a national broadsheet press that I've got in front of me. I'm reading from, from their statistics. But of course, Russian, you're, you're quite an activist and you're quite very close to the details and you're saying two plus million. Muslims who are actually in these concentration camps undergoing forced political indoctrination, abuse, isolation uh, from their families. Some believe, believe many more have been detained, uh, detained and that, that's what you're telling us. I mean, tell us more about in terms of since we last spoke, Russian, how is the campaign of actually highlighting the, the case of uh, these uh, ethnic minority Muslim groups who have, who have been locked up in, in these concentration camps? How is that campaign actually mobilizing further? Uh, and what are the, some of the key success factors been for, for, for yourself in terms of the campaign, Russian? Yes, um, when we spoke last time, it mm. was uh, the media and the, the government were saying, I mean, the U.S. government and the other human rights organizations. Yeah, like Amnesty they and they, they issued reports, exactly, yeah. yeah. That's right. Then mm. in December, early December, mm. uh, there was a hearing uh, and one of the State Department officials had said that uh, there are more than two million being held, according to their intelligence information. Mm. Mm. So that's how it's growing. I think we have spoken right before that, like a month prior yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. And because Chinese government is getting away in front mm. of the entire world, and they are actually keep continuing to arresting people. Mm. We just recently heard that uh, many uh, artists, singers, and the other professors have been arrested. There are 338 elites, like professors and writers and doctors and university presidents, mm. are being taken. Imagine 338 professors, wow. PhDs, and the doctors. Um, mm. See, this is ridiculous. You know mm. what is happening today, and uh, unfortunately. We still don't hear the outcry from the world communities. Where is the outcry from the Islamic countries? Mm. Um, this is what's happening in this Turkestan today. This is the uh, Chinese communist version of the final solution, like what, what they did during Holocaust, during yes. the uh, World War II. Yeah. A high-level Chinese official, actually, his name is Huliang He he's that one that the Uyghur problem must be taken to a final solution stage. And then now the Xi Jinping government is acting on it. But um, we do have uh, from United States uh, senators and the uh, uh, congressmen, we have a, a bipartisan support uh, introducing a uh, Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act 2019. And they, uh, we are still requesting governments to do a strong sanction on the Chinese officials who is responsible for this. Severe mm. human rights violation on the, the provision of Global Magnitsky Act. Mm. 
we, we really need the world to stand up on this because, you know, the Chinese, the Chinese communist government is conducting basically a genocide against the Uyghurs and challenging the whole Western democracy mm-hmm. with those mass surveillance and repression and the evilness. Mm. If we don't act, if we don't do something, our silence will undermine what we value in this, you know, 21st century. Mm. Yeah, I can, I, can I just ask a quick uh, sort of question regarding the status uh, of uh, the region, basically, the East Turkmenistan? I understand uh, it used to be uh, a semi-autonomous region. Is that still the case or has that been revoked? That's just only on the name. Only on the name, okay. The, the, we we had our um, uh, independent country back in 1933 and the 1944. That's right. East Turkestan uh, Republic was established, but then after the uh, communist uh, China took over in 1949, they renamed the territory as Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. Xinjiang means new territory in yes. Chinese. Yeah. Right. So in, uh, in autonomous region. So it's still in name. It's still an autonomous uh, autonomous region. And I, I guess the, the other right. question is only on the name. The, the other question is is I, I guess um, what has what has changed recently, uh, which has brought this um, you know this response from the Chinese government. Uh, <clears throat> I understand. I think. Um, Previously, there there was Chinese presence and there was disturbances between the the Han Chinese community and, and the uh, the Uyghur. Um, but this type of response um, wasn't wasn't as, as as I guess excessive as as this. Well, what brought this about? Well, what happened is um, well, since 1949, they are using a different label persecuting Uyghur people, the Uyghur Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, for their religion and the ethnic uh, diversity. Mm-hmm. Well, at the beginning, it was like a nationalist and the separatists or mm-hmm. uh, splitists. And then after uh, 9-11 in the United States, in, in, in the world, uh, the war on terrorism, mm-hmm. uh, Chinese government try, started to criminalize the entire nation, the entire the Uyghur nation and the Muslim based on their ethnic ethnicity, and they try to use this excuse to basically eliminating the Uyghur people. Mm. Um, why it's so important now? It's because the uh, Chinese government's um, uh, Belt and Road project, mm. and yes. the East Turkestan sits in the uh, heart, yes. strategic heart of yeah. this entire access to the world mm. through Central Asia. Yeah. Mm. So they are trying to eliminate Uyghur people using their religion as the excuse for persecution because we are Muslim, yeah. and they try to eliminate the entire nation. Yeah. Right, so okay. Yeah. So it's strategic, strategic. strategic. Now, the, the, the other mm. question I have is, is I guess, I guess in China there there are uh, other Muslim communities uh, um, as well as the Uyghur. So is this policy across the board for Muslims, or is it just for the Uyghur? Okay, okay um, I, I need to answer this in two, two parts. Like, like uh, first part, like uh, Chinese Ambassador Tui said, uh, they are trying to make the Uyghurs as normal people. Right. They are treating the, uh, like all the religion as a mental disease, not only Muslims, not only Islam. They are treating uh, Christianity and Catholics and everybody, and right. including other the Han Muslims in other parts of uh, 
China, like Ningxia and Yunnan, there are some Han Muslims. Yeah. They, are, they are demolishing mosques. They are arresting people who pray and mm. forcing all the Muslims to eat pork. Mm. And that is one case. And for the Uyghurs, um, they, are, they are not like putting everybody in the camp, the other Han Muslims and the others. But for the Uyghurs, it's the religion plus the ethnicity. So right. Altogether, they are just using the religion as excuse to nice. uh, eliminating the people. Right. You know, we just had recently, like uh, last week, um, February 5th, yeah. uh, about uh, you know, 10 days ago, I was Chinese New Year. Yes. In Chinese New Year, the Chinese cadres delivered pork to all Uyghur homes, whoever left, forcing mm. them to eat pork. Right. Who delivered it? Sorry, what did you, who was it that delivered it, you said? The Chinese government. Oh, the like government. Local the government. Oh, okay. all the, yeah. Yes, yeah. all the like, neighborhoods yeah, and yeah, townships yeah. Yes, and yes. all that, yes. they delivered yes. pork to people's homes. And I think I mentioned last time, and I'm going to repeat this for new audience here. Currently, 1.1 Chinese cadres have deployed to Uyghur's homes, uninvited, to living in their living rooms and having a, you know dinner together, eating with them, living with them, sleeping with them in their beds. Say that last statement again. What was that? About 1.1 billion, I'm sorry, 1.1 million, 1.1 million Chinese cadres, like Chinese officials, yeah, Chinese right, government okay. people, have sent to Uyghur Muslims' homes to oh, live with them. Oh, they they wow. would spy with them, yeah. Wow. And they are, they, are basically, they are basically spying on them in their own homes. Is, 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 that, is that actual factual information? Is there reports on that? Is, yes, you can Google. Wow. Yes. Yes, there is a report in English. You can Google that. You wow. can Google as a keyword 1.1 Chinese cadres deploying into Uyghur's homes. You will see that news. Wow, that's absolutely It's recorded incredible. in the English, wow. English news. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, a Russian, I mean... So, uh, delivering pork... Yeah, yeah, go on. I was going to say last 30 seconds. Yeah, delivering pork last week is not just the delivering it so they can throw it away. Yes. They have to eat it because they've got Chinese in their home to monitor that. Oh, incredible, incredible. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, Russian, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, but, but as always, it's fantastic speaking to you and, and, and really great uh, for, for this opportunity for, 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 for yourself to enlighten us with, you know, with you know, this campaign and what's actually happening happening out there in China, in East Turkmenistan, and how the Chinese authorities are dealing with these Muslim brothers and sisters of East Turkmenistan. And, you know, again, I want to really, really re-emphasize not only our sense of appreciation, but also how difficult it must be for you to speak about this situation when it's so personal for you in terms of your sister. And I, and I pray, inshallah, next time we discuss that you've got some positive news uh, with regards to your sister. But unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, thank you very much for your time this evening. And it's always great to speak to you, Roshan. And inshallah, continue up, uh, continue the good Thank work. You. Thank you very much, Roshan. Inshallah. Thank you so Thank much you for your much. attention. Thank I you really appreciate Russian. this opportunity. Thank you very much, Roshan. Thank you. Okay, so, so, so listeners, that was uh, Sister Roshan Abbas from uh, based in Washington, D.C. Again, a, a incredible uh, you know, information with regards to the, the plight of the Uyghur uh, Muslims 
in China, in East Turkmenistan. We've run out of time. We're going to have to go into a commercial break. When I come back, I just want to summarize, you know, what we have been discussing with Brother Zafar. Again, I need to get a couple of thoughts from Brother Zafar on what we've been discussing. Uh, but we are about to go into a commercial break. You are with me, uh, Hafiz Shaban, on Friday Night Live. Until we come back after the commercial break, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to Friday Night Live with me uh, Hafi Shaban and uh, Brother Zafar here in the studio. MashaAllah already one and a half hours have gone by and we're in the very last half section of the of, of the show Brother Zafar. MashaAllah is the time has literally flown uh, this evening. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. We've been enjoying it today. Very informative today MashaAllah. Very, very informative. SubhanAllah, right? And you know what? Right at the back end of that last conversation with the, you know, sister Russian from Washington DC right uh, it just occurred to me and this wasn't planned right it just occurred to me that you know we've had three discussions three, three different stories and we've started off with the Muslims of Kashmir then we started discussing the Rohingya Muslims in India and then we started discussing the the, the Urga Muslims in East Turkmenistan three three areas of, of, of the world Tra- where tragedies tragedies yeah. right and, and you know subhanAllah I, I was gonna ask you to actually summarize but I'm not gonna ask you now because you know, I've got another guest in the studio, mashallah, right? And uh, I've got Sheikh Ahmed, who's uh, who's joined us uh, for the last uh, half an hour of the discussion, mashallah. So I want to welcome uh, Sheikh Ahmed to the studio from Islam. Assalamu alaikum, uh, Sheikh, and mashallah, welcome. And Jazakallah, Heron, this evening for joining us and giving Wa-alaikum us your time this evening, inshallah. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually start off by asking you to just summarize for, for me, right? It's not the subject matter that I've actually, I, I actually asked you to come and, and discuss with us, but... You know, it just happened that, you know, we've discussed these three tragic areas, you know, uh, conflict areas, areas where, you know, Muslims, you know, you know, under a lot of uh, oppression, right? Uh, maybe maybe you can just give a, a word or two on that, inshallah, before we come on to our subject matter of planning for our children's future uh, subject that we want to discuss in the last half an hour, inshallah. Inshallah. Over to you, Shah. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah. Jazakumullah khair. For having me uh, tonight, and I pray to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to accept all our deeds Amen. and help us to try to do something <coughs> to help this community. Mm. Yeah. Actually, <coughs> when you look at the uh, big picture, you'll find that there is through the history there is all the time struggle mm. between al-haqqul batil between the truth and false. Yes, and this deen <coughs> being subject for attacks from different sides mm. since the birth of Nabina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam until this minute right. so you all of us we know how many times the non-muslims at that time in, in Mecca tried to mm. uh, finish uh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his followers and after that uh, when the Islamic state at that time started to uh, extend yes. so all these and then the Maghul and the Tatar and mm-hmm. the Crusaders so it's uh, a long story when we when you look at it mm-hmm. and every every time mm-hmm. you'll find maybe there is different fronts yes. there's 
there is uh, maybe at that time there is a, a Roma, the Romans in one side, uh, Maghul in uh, other side, maybe other uh, internal uh, problems inside, which all of it uh, try to face this uh, nur, this light, mm. which try to mm. spread and uh, to guide the people to the straight mm. uh, path. Now, what we are facing now in these countries that you just mentioned in uh, uh, Rohingya and Turkmenistan and the other one Kashmir. in Kashmir, mm. all of it, it, it is one of the phases mm. that we, we can see the, this struggle. Yes. And one of the things the Rohingya particularly shows, mm. shows how this uh, world are hypocrite. Yes. So... Because when there is something happening in another area, when the victim is, is not a Muslim, yes. so you'll find the whole media and the United Nations and the United States, and yes. here in this country, they are making efforts to stop it yes. and uh, sanctions and all of these yes. things. Yes. But mm. the president of that country, mm. Burma, she has the Nobel Prize. Yes. Uh, before that, she was praised by all West, the, yes. uh, the Western yes. uh, media. Yes. She's uh, a human activist and mm. all of these things. Now, when she st started to do oppression against her people, because these people, yes. the, the yes. they are citizens yes. in that case. So you are talking about mm. being active, uh, human rights activist, mm. uh, and then you oppress your own people. Yes. And the outside world, they are, they are saying nothing. Yes. And the situation there is awful. Yeah. Yes. Alhamdulillah, now yes. uh, a group of crisis aid, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, they are there yes. to look at the projects that we've done there. And I saw some videos today, the brothers, you see. But when you look at the situation of the, of the people, it's awful. The people living yes. in a very, very basic uh, life, they don't have the normal things for cooking. And yes. uh, we are, alhamdulillah, by the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the contribution mm. of people uh, making water wells, their palms. And yes. so this is the only source that they can yes. have. Yes. So it shows these things in all these places mm. how this world is hypocrite yes yes and no, mashallah jazakallah have for, for summarizing that for us and and mashallah you've summarized it very succinctly and and uh, and fantastically mashallah and are you going from those international global trials and tribulations and challenges and and as you said this is the history of, mm. of man the history mm. of man is trials tribulations and from those international trials and tribulations to let's move on to some personal trials and tribulations and we're discussing our children right so subhanallah you have the, the international element and then you have this national and, and this domestic element right which is your trial and tribulation of your own children and subhanallah you know i tell you there was an article and i was reading this article and i thought you know this is an interesting subject to actually discuss and this is planning for our children's future and you know when i was young i remember my parents discussing you know we're doing this for you and we're doing that for you and and traditionally you know parents of course as soon as a child is born from the moment the child is born they constantly and now they become preoccupied 
we're thinking with regards to the future of our children, right? And we think of them in terms of the education, we think of it in terms of the marriage, we think of it in terms of the material wealth, and we discuss it, discuss it from all of these perspectives, right? But this author, he wasn't discussing the education, he wasn't interested in the, the marital aspect of it or in terms of the, the material aspect of it. Rather, he was looking at it from the Aqidah perspective and he was looking at it from the, the perspective of the identity and, and the belief and especially in the context in the atmosphere around us where we have all of these challenges right around us that now you know we have an, a particular responsibility from the author's perspective with regards to planning for the future of our children mashallah right so i want you to get your views with regards to that in terms of planning for our children's future and how that is uh, a very important subject matter, not only from a marital perspective or from a material perspective or from an educational perspective, from the Aqidah perspective, inshallah. So I want to I wanna give you uh, the, the, the air time, inshallah, to maybe to elaborate on, on, on that slightly, Shia. I think yeah, the, the Holy Quran and Nabi Muhammad wasalam, the, yeah, spoke about this important thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhaladhina amanu qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. O you who believe, protect yourself and your families from, from the hellfire. Hmm. And we'll find uh, many prophets, when they're making dua, they are making dua for their offspring. Yes. Like Ibrahim alayhi uh, salam. Ibrahim that Ibrahim uh, he gave the advice to his uh, children and Yaqub Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to you the deen yes. so die as Muslims yes. and Zakaria uh, when he was praying Rabbi oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me a good offspring yes so we can learn from all these uh, yes. there's many examples and yes, many ayahs in, yes. in the holy quran yes, yes. telling us that all these prophets mm. they were concerned about their duriya about mm. their offspring yes. and you know one of the examples which is very important here i think when ibrahim and ismail mm. were raising the kaaba yes they were Praying that they are Muslims. Yes. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our offspring also Ummah mm. Muslima, a Muslim, yes. a Muslim yes. nation. Yes. Yes. So this I think this is the guide for us. Mm. That as a parent I should think firstly about my children, how I bring them as Muslims. Yes. And this is <clears throat> normal. And uh, there is nothing we can say uh, racism or discrimination or yeah. anything because yes, yes, yes. when you look to other faiths i i've yes. seen this here in uk and yeah. you see it in other countries mm. that other faiths they are doing this from early age yes. that they like to show that child you are you are different you yes. have you yes. have the right faith yes. doesn't matter what, exactly. what the faith there exactly. uh, how they they dress yes. they they give them certain things to to wear yes. so to keep the identity yes. even the hair yes. Yes. they exactly. ask them to grow their hair in a certain way yes. Yes. so anyone who will see this this children they can yes. straight away yes. say Okay, yes. you are a Muslim, you are a right. Christian, you are okay. a Jew, you okay. are Buddhist, yes. or you are Sikh, or yes. Hindu, yes. all of these things. Yes. So, 
as Muslims, we are we supposed to look at all these aspects and yes. not to ignore it. Yes. One of the problems I think faced Muslims in Europe yes. that there were a time that Muslims they are confused. Mm. They are here not very well educated mm. and they try to fit. Mm. So I know at a certain time people they try to change their names yes, yes. and um, they married from yes. uh, non-Muslims and all of these. Yes. So there was a generation yes. who are absolutely confused. Mm. They don't know who they are. Yes, mm. their names are Muslim names, mm. but everything in, else in their life was something something right. else. Right. Alhamdulillah, now there is a new generation which is educated, right. and we can see, generally speaking. Uh, many people going back to the deen, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. Mm, mm. Uh, the parents, they are very interested in the identity mm. uh, of their children. Mm. I see this for many parents when they call me asking for a beautiful name for their yes, girl yes, and yes. their uh, or, or their boy. Yes, yes. Because they like yes. that boy that to have a beautiful name. And the beautiful and this, character to, uh, and to the, go with that. that yes, thing. alhamdulillah. Okay, okay so, so let, let, let's be come back to, to that point, Sheikh. So, mashallah, you've given us a fantastic context, right? We've got Brother Ali on, on, the, on the phone, who, mashallah, also runs a show on parenting on, on the radio station. And I, I want to, before I go to Brother Ali, the statement I have from, from this article, it says, it's only a matter of time before our worries with regards to our children kick in. We are desperate to secure the Islamic future in a world that is rapidly changing. Exposure is unmanageable. Government policies are affecting what children are taught in schools competitors wish to raise our children on our behalf right and a dominant feeling in the world of parenthood is often fear right will my children become and, and he continues right so brother Ali on, on that note assalamu alaikum welcome to Friday Wa night salam. welcome to Friday night live you've heard the the context that brother uh, that Sheikh Ahmed mashallah has given the dua the the the, the importance of in t ensuring the identity of our youth and then I'm reading from the article which is saying yes We've got a, a huge challenge in front of us, you know, and, and we're discussing the question of planning for our children's future. So what, what, what does it mean by planning? What is it exactly that we need to plan when, when we're trying to marry those two things together, uh, Brother Ali, from your perspective? Firstly, Assalamu alaikum to Sheikh Ahmed. Uh, I pray you are well and I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings are upon you. It's been a long time since we met. Mashallah. Wa alaikum salam, mashallah. I think uh, the issue of uh, I think the issue of planning and preparation mm. really has to be seen in the context. Mm. We up and down the globe as uh, parents, we have different challenges in different countries. Yeah, and the challenges we face here will be far different to the challenges the parents face in Palestine, to the parents that face in Pakistan, mm. that face in in China, even for example, that you yeah. just spoke about. Yes, I mean there is a fundamental baseline. Every parent wants. To to invest in their children in terms of their deen, their aqidah, their identity, mm. their viewpoints, their, their, their beliefs, their, mm. their ideas. That is the baseline. No parent would disagree. Mm. But I think we need to home in on this discussion even for what does that mean in our context living here yeah. uh, in a Western society mm. where the minute you, you don't even have to walk outside the door, and the identity of your children is being challenged at every juncture. Mm. Television, radio, internet, mm. billboards, uh, schools, colleges, yes. just recently the teaching of this LGBT yes. uh, up and down the country. Yes. So that discussion really needs to be honed in onto what are the challenges and what's the context of those challenges yeah. 
that we face here in the right, UK. Right. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, slightly emphasize on on the slightly different aspect, right? The challenges. I mean, the, the article I've got in front of me, he articulates that very well, right? Uh, our aspiration, right, as as parents, as Muslims, is very well articulated by Sheikh Ahmed that Zuriyatina Ummatan Muslimatan lak. Okay, and that, that that our Zuriya is, is upon the Islam, right? And then you mentioned a very key buzzword: invest, right? Invest in in our children, progeny. My question to you is. Are we investing enough, right? Are we planning enough? Because I know all parents, right? You know, coming from a Pakistani background, you know, we start planning for our uh, our kids' marriage as soon as they're born, right? We start planning for their material stability from the moment they're, they're born. We should have a house for each of our child, for each of our children. We should have a good education for them. Where they should have jobs, they should have material security. But what about the investment and the planning for their aqidah, for their for their belief, for their identity? Are we really investing enough or are we just outsourcing that, Brother Ali? Actually, I think the, the, the new generation, like uh, Sheikh Ahmed mentioned, that yeah. I think there is an awakening, I think there yeah. is a realization. Yeah. But I think there needs to be some, some practical steps put in place, some support from the community in how to yeah. actually go about doing that. Right. Okay. And I think the most important point is to actually start with the parents as opposed to the mm. children. Mm. And it's not to have the criteria of, I think the most important thing that I've looked at mm. when raising my children is what is my criteria for success for my children? Oh, okay. If the criteria for success for my children is world yes. and worldly things and mm. degrees and PhDs and masters, mm. uh, then you know where my emphasis is going to be. Mm. Mm. If my uh, criteria is for pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for mm. them to become upright characters who carry da'wah and uh, ambassadors of Islam living here in the West, mm. then you're going to naturally start taking the relevant steps. Mm. And these steps require a tarbiyah right from a very early age, right up to even, believe it or not, up to university. Mm. Mm. So you can't take your foot off the pedal. And planning in that sense requires the parents for them to be switched on, mm. to know what's going on, mm. to know what the climate is saying, to know what the kids are saying, mm. and to really set down a plan of action. Yes. Yes. Just like yourself and anyone mm. else who goes mm. into work, there's a project plan, there's mm. a plan, you mm. have to stick to it in order to achieve the results. Mm. Mm. I was on a plan of action for my children for a good 10 years of my life. Mm. My life was almost on pause mm. in order to achieve that objective. Right. Alhamdulillah. So it has to be very much yeah. those, those key points that those, that planning has to be internalized by parents yes. in order to achieve these results. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go back to Sheikh Ahmed, right? So Sheikh Ahmed, mashallah, you know, he's been in the community far longer than I have. Better understanding of the community, better, better engaged with the community, mashallah. Sheikh, from your experiences, how are you finding your interaction with parents, right? I mean, as a parent, if I come to you and say, Sheikh Ahmed, I need help my, with my 17-year-old son or my 18 year old daughter right uh, that's one thing but actually coming to you and saying you know Sheikh, my, my son's three years old or five years old or six years old and i want to help and i want to you know put a program for his development are, are you seeing kind of engagement with parents at a younger age where they're actually taking the the aqidah and, and the belief and the identity of their children you know more seriously at a younger age and, and you know investing in, in in their children so that you know they, they they you know they've supported their children right across those very key age groups right before they become 15 and 16 and then you have your your other challenge are you seeing that awakening that brother ali is referring to uh, with, with the parents uh, more now than you perhaps saw previously because of the the changing times 
I can't say there is there are different uh, parents. Uh, there are parents. Their whole concern is how to prepare the, my child for the life here. Yes. Uh, I'd like uh, this uh, this child. Yes, to have dean. There yes. is no problem yes. about that. Yes. About that. Yes. But uh, the concentration is mm -hmm. on education. Yes. I'd like him to be a lawyer, a doctor, yes. something yes. Like, yes. Uh, like this. Exactly. And there are <clears throat> parents, they are so concerned mm -hmm. about the deen and the aqidah from A to Z. So this is why many of them choose the, to send them to uh, Islamic uh, schools mm -hmm. uh, and uh, even uh, put them in programs and uh, different activities yes. which implant all these things mm -hmm. in their minds and their hearts. Mm -hmm. One of the mistakes I can say that uh, you'll find many parents they are doing this in their children for example to the school, to the madrasa, mm. they learn how to read Quran, yeah. then they start reading Quran, they may finish the Mus'haf. Yes. If that child finishes the Mus'haf, that's it. Yes. Finish. Yes. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. For, for that yes. uh, mm. parent, they consider this is the final uh, thing, yes. and this is, he achieved that, and he done his duty. Yes. Mm. And this is absolutely wrong. Mm. Reading Quran mm. is the key so when you when you read about yes. all these great scholars, yes. you'll find them, they memorize Quran when yes. they are eight or ten. Yes. So yes. memorizing Quran, reading Quran yes. was the first step for the for the knowledge. Exactly. Yes. And <clears throat> one of the great examples uh, to our children, and I, I hope that all the parents who are listening mm. teach their children about this great uh, character, Zaid ibn Thabit, mm. one of the great Sahaba. He was. 10 years old when Nabi Sallallahu moved to uh, Al-Madina and in the year when Musa ibn Umair was in Madina, mm. he managed to, I think to memorize about 17 surahs. Yes. So when they introduced him, his mother introduced him to, his, to the Prophet Sallallahu he asked him how many surahs you memorize and he think, I think 17. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure about the number now. Yes. Then, then Nabi Sallallahu he said, okay, you come and stay with me. Mm. And he grew up with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked who can <coughs> uh, learn Hebrew. Hebrew language, yes. Because mm. they used, at that time they used Hebrew yes. and, uh, yes. when they write letters and yes. this. And he said, I'll do that. Yes. And in less than three weeks, yes. he learned how to read and write yes. Hebrew. So, and he started to be yes. the katib of the Prophet yes. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yes, yes. This is this is a great example. We need to teach uh, our children yes, that yes. you use your talent yes. in all these on these yes, things to yes. uh, to be a scholar, yes. uh, to be a teacher, yes. to be daria, yes, to yes. be uh, all all these things because yes. this is what we need. Yes, we need yes. all these things, yes. and we are here. And yes. I am talking about Luton. Yes. We are lack of. The students who are really t teaching Quran, yes, teaching yes, uh, Arabic, yes. teaching Dawah, teaching Islamic so studies, that, that and this is something yes. okay. all the parents and the okay. institution need to look at. Well, it. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, and I, I, I want to get last quick question to brother uh, brother uh, Ali because uh, this this uh, discussion requires an hour, two hours, not not half an hour, unfortunately. But but last quick question for you, brother Ali, right? Is uh, how, how do we? Let's, I, I know, Mashallah, you've got your parenting show every Tuesday. Is it from six p.m. to seven p.m.? Inshallah. 
7 to 8. 7 to 8. Okay, I've got my hours wrong. So every Tuesday, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. for our listeners to tune into that. A lot more advice. But in, 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 in two minutes, you've got how do we best prepare for our children's future, right? Uh, and does, does really, as parents, does planning need a fresh look and an answer today from, from our perspective? One and a half minutes. Yeah, very quickly, I think uh, how we prepare is firstly to have a, a good look at ourselves and see what our criteria for life is mm. and see what we define as success. Mm. If it's something other than what has been mentioned on the show today, then maybe some realignment. Mm. The greatest, uh, one of my greatest teachers were the raising of my kids, quite frankly. I learned a lot about myself mm. and had to make some adjustments in my own personality in order to teach them. Mm. Because uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very clearly in the Quran says, are you of those who say but don't do? Mm. Mm. So it really requires some self-reflection in terms of your planning. Start yes. with yourself first. Okay. And in terms of the resource, what we can do, I think the Lutheran community does have potential. Yes. It just needs to unite over some of these key points, yes. especially as uh, things are getting tougher and tougher for our yes. children out yes. there. Yes. It requires a unified response. It yes. requires the response to, that goes beyond any group, any jama, any masjid, any imam, any institution, and a very clear unified response to pool our resources together so we can get the best out of it. Brother, Jazakallah Heron, uh, Sheikh, I'd love to speak to you more, but I need to give the last 30 seconds to Sheikh Ahmed to, to also summarize. Sheikh Ahmed, a quick, quick summary, 30 seconds in terms of planning for our children's future, Sheikh. I think uh, we need to uh, plan for their akhirah mm. and make this akhirah or make this dunya, this life, a bridge for the akhirah. Fantastic. So in this way, we, we can uh, make these children ready to deal with this dunya mm. but use every minute in this dunya every hour in this dunya yes. for their akhirah okay. so in this way they will have uh, success in both of them inshallah Sh uh, Sheikh Ahmed mashallah you know it's a shame that I have to say I have, can only speak to you for 30 minutes <laughs> for even less than that I'm brother Ali uh, but Jazakallah Heron I think we'll, we'll touch upon this topic in the future because it needs a lot more time uh, but Jazakallah Heron for joining us this evening uh, brother Ali and uh, Sheikh Ahmed from the Islamic Center Jazakallah Heron uh, yeah. okay uh, listeners that was it and uh, brother Zafar had uh, an easy last half an hour mashallah jazak but i want to say jazakallah to brother zafar for also joining me here in the studio uh, jazakallah to our listeners for your messages this evening i haven't been able to take some of your messages uh, but uh, it is uh, with regret that we have come to the end of the show uh, so from me hafiz shaban and brother zafar i guess assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh until next week inshallah all right Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.